Hi, you guys, and welcome to Trailer Cast. I am Elise Snipes, your host, and I'm here today with another super exciting Trailer Cast conversation. Um, these conversations, they really are like a Christmas morning present. So I don't know if you can remember, but think back when you had your eye on a present under the Christmas tree and you knew that like that one had your name on it and you were going to go over there and you were going to open it and you knew it was going to be good and you had no idea what was going to be inside. And I think that that's like what it feels like for me as I get to approach these conversations and open up the gift. But what happens when I actually start to open that up is that's like now as a parent, I know what it looks like when I watch my kiddo open up the present that I knew would be just perfect for them. There's a joint and shared collective experience with both what I get to witness in a person one-on-one in this conversation, what they experience as the gift, and then what the listeners, what you get to hear is you get to watch this thing unfold. It is so multidimensional. It is so layered when we think about the way in which all of our stories are connected. So thank you for, for listening. I want to thank Sophie for being on this episode and for sharing. Um, this is a this is a really special episode. I'm really excited to share it with you. Here we go. girl. So here's what it says. It says, I would like to talk about navigating shame, resilience, and uncertainty in a time of great personal growth and transformation, especially as a young person in today's society. I feel constrained both by the looming uncertainty of the world and by my own personal imposter syndrome blocks. How am I supposed to find a purpose, life path, career when everything I do is either thwarted by self-doubt or seemingly futile? What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> hearing it back, like it sounds heavy. And um, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not untrue that that's what I feel, but just like hearing it back, it sounds like, oof, that's a lot. Yeah. It's so we carry the heavy inside of us. We feel that we sit in that. And then someone asks us, where do you want to start? We translate that oof two words in an email to me and it's now in text form and it's like oh oh that might even be heavier than I realized that might be Mm -hmm. more or bigger or like oh that's a real thing Mm -hmm. yeah then we translate that back in right like whoa yeah where's the heaviest where's the biggest rub for you in that um I think it's hearing the piece about self-doubt um I yeah like hearing somebody else talk that back to me was a little like like it felt it felt weird hearing it back to me because it feels such such an internal thing that Mm -hmm. it like makes it real when I like hear somebody say it to me yes yep like that's a little scary (laughs) exposing Mm -hmm. vulnerable and actually I hear even a little tender 
Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that was a private thing. And, and now, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think a lot of the times too, when, when we keep it in like the dark inside of us, we kind of get to choose how much of it gets illuminated, like how much tolerance we have for that to actually be visible, be seen, be totally felt. And then in this process, when I'm holding up this very clear mirror of let me just read your words back to you, it can feel a little bit shocking or like, Mm -hmm. wow, I haven't really looked at the whole image before in this way in company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially the self-doubt stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so internal, right? It's very internal. Um, and it's very something that like lately I have been doing a lot of work with um, and trying to process through. Um, and I feel like I've come to a bit of a, like a bit of a head with it, especially like last night, actually very recently. But um, yeah, just the idea that like for a long time, I've been living in self-doubt and kind of finding myself and building a life that I want to live. But there's still that lingering sort of underlying like, well, like, can I do this? Like, is that really something that's like there for me? Like, is it not just like somebody who's like already successful, like already perfectly happy and, you know, comfortable being vulnerable? Um, Like, am I... I guess, worthy of like those things. Ooh. Yeah, the worthy word. We're going to, I'm writing it down. We're going to come to that. Um, so give me some of the like setting of your life. You said um, young person in today's society. So what does your life look like? How old are you? Like where, what is, <laughs> what is your job? What is yeah. everything? <laughs> yeah, so I am, um, I'm 20. Um, I am a student and um, I also work a part-time job, but I'm a student at home right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of like way back, uh, my, I, through like some processing work, I realized that a lot of my childhood was like surviving almost. Like I wasn't, um, like I, I don't feel that I really had a, I wasn't able to have a childhood, I guess. Like it was a lot of just like getting through it. Um, and now being outside of that, I don't go to a school where I like grew up. Um, so now being away from that, I have very recently, I think since like March, um, done a lot of like healing and transformative work. And I feel like I am like a different person since then. Um, so Yes. Yeah, but there's still that like lingering sort of, you know, like some of those lingering things from the past. Yes. Yes. It, it is like the smell of smoke right after the fire. So Mm -hmm. the fire's out, the threat is over and I reek of smoke. And that smell is enough to continue to trigger the fact that I don't feel totally safe. And that even though that part is done, maybe the big T over there, all the lingering, ambiguous, smoky kind of feeling is still lingering, sitting with me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, when, 
when I went to college, it was like one of the first times I'd ever slept through the night. And mm. I didn't know that wasn't abnormal. I thought that um, I didn't know what was and what wasn't normal until I got so far away and outside of my own family culture that it was like, wow, interesting. When I'm not in that setting, I'm, I'm a different person. Mm-hmm. And I have to adjust to that though, too, that mm-hmm. newfound sense of Bambi legs. Is this me trying to try it on and try myself on while doing the healing, while trying mm-hmm. not to repeat all the things and believe myself and my story? It's a ton of work. Mm-hmm. Also, global pandemic mm-hmm. and COVID and cool and all that right. stuff. So, you know, all no of that, you know. <laughs> right, right. Fine. Totally stress, like stress-free. It's cool. (laughs) Are you back at your family of origins home right now as you're doing college right now? I'm not. No, I'm still, um, I'm still out at school. I actually moved into um, my own apartment very recently um, in July. And that was a big sort of like following my heart kind of thing. Like that was a huge thing that I definitely didn't think that I, um, like that it wasn't for me, but then I did it and I was like, oh yeah, like this is, this is it. This is right. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. To, that's like an act of volition. Other, sometimes like things are happening. Like, okay, so I'm, I'm I guess I live in the dorms. Like it's a kind of like a passive shift, but you choosing to, and even in the midst of COVID, maybe while other students are going home to go procure your own apartment. That's like, mm, I'm actually in the driver's seat. I'm going to go ahead mm-hmm. and steer the Mm -hmm. sky over here yeah and I think that's like that analogy of like the driver's seat sort of like I am the one driving the car I am not just the passenger that is a big thing that I've taught myself since March like I can make the decisions I have the agency Mm -hmm. um to you know adopt a cat if I want to or like you know like like yeah, find my own apartment or choose not to go home for Christmas or anything. It's badass. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because there's, it's funny because um, when we, we think of agency, we don't always realize that sometimes the biggest things are just the things that are the most personal to us. So mm. I want to adopt a cat and maybe not go home for Christmas are monumental. They're massive when you realize that you're the one who gets to call the shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What led to the, was this, so th- this started in March. Is this the, is this a COVID wake up or what was your moment of a- awareness? Um, so for, I think like, it's like nine or so months leading up to March, um, all of the kind of like all my coping, um, mm-hmm. manifested itself really I guess the word, the word bigly is coming right, but like it manifested kind of to a point with an eating disorder from like September through March. And I think in March, um, was one of my lowest points. Um, and it kind of caused me to like step back and be like, is this it, you know, like, is this what I want to do? Is this how I want to, you know, continue to live in this life is this how I want to spend it um and I think it was the the shift to like no like I knew that gut feeling was like no like this is not 
what I want to do with my life. Um, and I remember I read one book that really like got me out of it. Um, or that really kind of like switched my mind. It was a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. Um, and something about that, like I just started journaling for for like hours and hours for like a month and a half after that. And yeah, it was just like a complete kind of 180. That was the spark. Something was ignited and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's because it, it, sometimes it's, it's, it's a book, it's a chant um, meeting with somebody. It's a, it could be a scene in a TV show, that, but there's a call, right? And we think about this mm-hmm. in the context of like the hero's journey or the heroine's journey. There's a moment where I'm, I'm about to be called into an invitation to create some change in my life. In order mm-hmm. to do so, I need to make sure that I'm, I, it's, I realize it's my life. And that's where your piece of agency kind of comes in as well, where this isn't a problem you're trying to solve way out there. This is a reclaiming and a story of discovery within mm-hmm. here. So such mm-hmm. a different idea of where we're going to source this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for talking about your eating disorder. Mm that's that's also vulnerable Mm -hmm. that's been a uh, that that's been like a recent sort of like shame thing that I have it's like taking control of my story kind of thing like I don't let the eating disorder talk for me it's more of a like it's it happened to me but I can when I take it like when I you know when I speak it it is mine kind of thing Hell yeah. <laughs> that 100%. That's it. When, yeah. when I use the power of my own words and my voice to say what happened, I take the power back. I shape the story. I declare mm-hmm. what happened and what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, Sophie. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I think of it, I like to think, I love to well, I'm not really allowed to do it anymore, but I like to pick up people in my car and I, and figure out who they are. So I used to pick mm-hmm. up hitchhikers a lot before I had kids. And, and now I still pick up people if I know them or I know them from around town, but I, I've limited that I'm not picking up strangers <laughs> on a regular basis. So, you know, there's that little safety. Um, but when I think about that as a metaphor for our story, that you're in the driver's seat and you're driving down 101 and there was a time where you picked up this girl, this, this eating disorder girl, and she's in the car for a stretch of the ride with you. And she's the worst passenger ever. Like she's such a bitch. She just tells you all these terrible things about the way you look and how you're driving and, and what you really should do and who you really are. And, you know, and, and at some point you realize that that is not you. That's just a passenger in the car. And so you'd like to pull over now and go ahead and see like, mm-hmm. we're done here Mm -hmm. and so I I can acknowledge that she was with me for that stretch but she was not me and at Mm -hmm. some point I realized this is my damn car so you can see yourself Mm -hmm. out because we don't we're not doing that in here so Mm -hmm. in story form we could see it like that now where the actual rubber meets the road is that reading or or self-help or therapy and extraneous help uh, writing and speaking my story and making sure that I've got that head, heart, gut connection to moving to a place of truth. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. 
What does it look like now? What is the, is there an echo of, of that voice is, do you feel like, where are you at in your relationship to that history? Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely is an echo. Um, it, I guess, manifests now more in just that constant, um, oh, what's the term? Just like criticism, like inner criticism, just with everything, like nothing is, nothing I do is enough. And I always like, I just feel like I constantly have to do more and I have to know, um, like I have to know my future and my purpose and my life path because like what I'm doing now, even if it brings me joy, like isn't enough. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's turned from like food to just like a broader Mm -hmm. criticism. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. So when, when we really look at, at our experience as people, the, why I like to kind of deconstruct the idea of eating disorder is that when we come back to what's actually happening is it is that inner critic. I'd already kind of like put that at the top of our page was like, Oh, strong Mm -hmm. inner critic monologue (laughs) with that. And what happened was that inner critic was able to get you stuck in the idea of food as if, if, as if food was the thing, but the inner critic doesn't care what your obsession becomes. If it is that I restrict my relationships, if it is that I binge in my relationships, it's not, it doesn't care. It's such, mm-hmm. it's greedy, right? That's what I think about the inner critic. They just want you to doubt yourself so much that you're willing to do anything to silence that beast. If that means that I create rules or control over what I eat, what I think, what I wear, what I do. Um, and it's just, it's damage. It's just damage, damage, damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has also um, affected like relationships in my life because um, I, there is that piece of self-doubt that says like, oh, I'm not like in my, I think like I'm not fully baked yet. You know, like I'm still, I'm still cooking. So my like, inner critic says like, oh no, you're not ready yet. Like you're not, that's not for you because you're not where they are. Mm. Um, but like there will not, like, I will never be like quote unquote where they are. Mm. Yeah. That, that inner critic is live and well. Yeah. Greedy. Live, yeah. Live and well. <laughs> yeah. It's so let's, let's think about this for a second. And again, like I, I try to like personify like who I think my inner critic, what, what I think she looks like, or he looks like, um, one for the visualization process, if we can personify and give the details of what that inner critic is more than just a, a voice from the mist, that it's an actual, like if I can think of it as a person and what they're saying and what they look like, um, then I can begin to create some space between that being me and that being my voice of self-doubt because it's, that's not the same thing. So um, if I'm getting up to listen to say like do like public speaking um, and I have that little like catch of like, like ah, I'm about to go do this. Like, um, and I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, right? I'm, I'm aware of how big the stage feels. That can be a moment of self-doubt. The inner critic is who do you think you are to get up here on this stage? What do you think you have to say that they don't already know? What makes you qualified? Like there's such a different approach and experience of when I am nervous, 
and when that voice is coming for me. Mm. So when we can mm. begin to recognize the difference between very typical, normal nerves, anxiety, um, need for growth, versus just like the abusive, really abusive relationship with the voice that is just so rude. Mm -hmm. And the other part that I think is kind of interesting about the power that we can subconsciously give this inner critic is that somehow we believe that they actually know more than we do. Like, mm -hmm. like we believe apparently that this inner critic actually knows those other people and knows mm -hmm. how they're actually doing and knows their inner world. Like we haven't stopped to wonder like, what does the inner critic actually know? Do they know them and how mm -hmm. successful they actually yeah. are? We just, we just accept it at face value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like even like right before I, uh, you know, logged into zoom before this call, like I, there was an inner critic saying like, who are you to, get on this call right now like who are you to share your experience like what has what have everybody who is listening like what have what do you have to share with them that they have not already heard mm. um and that's it's definitely a hard space to get out of once i am in it um yeah and that's kind of where i get stuck a lot. so how'd you how'd you get on the call today Oh, I, I mean, I guess I just, just like did it. Like I told, I heard that voice and there was a piece of me that said, you know, it'd be a lot easier to just not do it, to like email you and be like, Hey, sorry. Like, I don't, I have uh, something came up like <laughs> bad excuse to get out of it. Um, but I heard that and I, yeah, it would have been a lot easier to just do that, but there was that other piece of me that was like, no, like, you have something important to say. Like, you, it matters what you have to say in your experience. And this call, like, even if the worst thing were to, like, even the worst case scenario, like, there is some value to be here right now. Yes. Do you feel that voice? Do you feel the difference in that strength where that's coming from? Mm-hmm that's coming like physically it's coming from like my heart space and like just below like between my heart and like my it's like esophagus <laughs> like the bottom of my like rib cage mm. very core center when we think energetically mm. about our body and what takes place there our core our most mm. central part of ourselves that inner voice of wisdom i mean i heard you say like oh, no, what you have to say is important mm -hmm. because you are important. That is knowing. That is your deep knowing, Sophie. Mm -hmm. So who are you to show up here and use your voice? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. I am I. Mm -hmm. When I'm the yeah, I am. Um, mm -hmm. I just finished a journal yesterday and I started a new one, but I was going back and like reading through some of the different um, entries for my old journal. And I, um, I came across this one entry that I don't remember writing, but it was 
talking about like what I have. Um, and I think the first line was like, I have a story. And then I like went into all this stuff and it was powerful to read because it was that like voice. Like it felt like even reading it, it felt like my like gut, like that knowing was like reading it, but it was interesting to like, di- like uh, separate it from myself in another way, mm-hmm. I guess. Like it was, it felt like, it feels like a whole, like a different entity than kind of the anxious like lizard brain that sometimes just like takes over. Yeah, yes. And again, the more we are able to differentiate between those two experiences or three or four or five different experiences, because these are all of our parts, right? So when we think about this, like from a gestalt perspective, which is just like all of our parts being able to have a place so that we can experience wholeness, is that there are or all these passengers in my car. These are all parts of my story. These are all chapters of my book. This is, you know, a part of the whole, but it's not the whole. And so when I look at and or experience the truth, I feel that in my core in a way that like, I can't deny. I I don't Mm -hmm. know how to validate it necessarily, only that I know it. Like I know my name when it's being called. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, I know, I know Mm -hmm. that, that is who we want to feed. That's who we want to give shotgun to. That's who we want to, (laughs) right? Lean into and be like, "Mm." write in my journal. (laughs) Remind (laughs) me who I am, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's brilliant to hear you put words to the work that you've done. I hear a lot of work. Yeah. I also go, go ahead. I was, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> That's all. I, yeah. It's definitely, it's not been easy, but um, I guess going back to like that knowing, like there's that sense of, even though I have like hard days where it feels like I'm just suffering for the point of suffering. Um, I have that knowing and it's like on the other side, there's this like wonderful place. And if I acknowledge that a part of me is also timeless and also outside of time, then I can have that experience now. Mm. My inner wisdom, that knowing voice, that woman can have that joy now, that wonderful life now. I'm already there. Yeah, that... I guess that, that piece um, is a little still like I'm still coming around to believe that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So let's experience it instead. Okay. Because we, we believe in our brain, but we experience it in the way that when you shifted earlier in, our, in this conversation where you, we heard your inner critic and then we heard your true self respond and you said where you felt that in your body that is the experience of power now not when you're self-realized not when you're 40 not when (laughs) you think you've hit the criteria of whatever you've invented as a person Mm -hmm. who deserves to have a voice 
but already today mm-hmm. in the amount of time we've been talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it is just like tapping into that, that like following where that sort of like gut feeling is like pulling me and really just like leaning into that. Yeah. Yes. We're not creating it. We are seeing it, what's already there. We're not inducing a feeling of power for you. We are clearing the dust so that you can see what already exists within you and is rapidly growing. Mm. Yeah. And that has nothing to do with years lived. Let that be known. This is Mm. not an age thing. Age is for our external whateverness Um, just because people have more earth years doesn't mean they actually have more wisdom years or more knowledge years or spiritual years or anything Mm -hmm. it's just that they were born then and you were born here Mm -hmm. and I, i that's comforting to hear too that it's not yeah, I guess that breaks down a bit of the inner critic, like, parameters I've set, like, when I will be, like, worthy enough. Like, that time piece just is completely irrelevant. Yes. See, that's the, again, if we were to look at our parts, it's like the part of you that wants to create and figure out her life career path and what, what it all is going to be, right? That person dreams outside of time. And then we put on this like baseball cap of time constraint of like, well, shouldn't by 20 at this or 24, this or 30, this, and it, you know, and, and, and meanwhile, life is still happening. Time is still ripping by. And oftentimes people get to that stage. They thought they'd have it all figured out Mm -hmm. and nothing's changed because Mm -hmm. they've just been waiting to hit this time of wokeness or some supreme gift that's on the other end of the rainbow because they lived enough days. So Mm -hmm. that's where time becomes inconsequential unless we are putting things into that time that actually allows for that evolution of self, that growth, that awareness, that waking up, that embodiment, that this is me and I'm here to live my life. Mm -hmm. what are you kind of flashing on for purpose life career where are you like what's in your realm of possibility um I am a very creative person I do a lot of like crafts but Mm. um I have always connected with like that creative side of myself Um, and especially recently I have fallen in love with, uh, writing, writing and reading and all of that. Um, and I guess with this idea that like, I would love to make people feel less alone with like the written word. Like I so value it and it so got me out of a place of, you know, just like such a dark place. So like, I kind of want to pass that on. And that's just where I feel so passionate and where that like fire ignites in me. 
you do have deep knowing, Sophie. <laughs> you didn't have a moment of hesitation in answering that question. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. Our, yeah, that, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's, is that a passion? Is that a career? Is that a job? What would it look like? What would the name for that be? I don't know. That's where I'm stuck. Like I, I have this, I feel like I have this thing that I know and I know that it brings me such joy and fulfillment, but I don't know how to put it out there. And that's where that self-doubt piece comes in again. It's like, well, like that's already been done. And like, mm. who are you to write a book? Or <laughs> like, if you start a blog, like who's going to read it kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'm stuck in this place of like, I have this passion, but I don't know how to make it come to fruition. Okay. So, so let's try this on for size. And instead of I'm stuck, just, I just don't see the whole thing yet. So okay. that I hear that career idea intersection of where you meet the world, right. Is in this niche space. And then there's this critic that is judging you for not being there yet when it's like literally impossible for you to be there yet because <laughs> you're still in college and need to do that first. Mm -hmm. And so if we can, we cast vision, we look up and out and look to the horizon of where we're wanting to go. And then we come all the way back to self, which is I'm going to be a good student today while I continue to foster my passion and allow mm -hmm. that flame to become fire inside of me as I talk to Elise, as I read and write and think and dream going towards this place on the horizon, but not, I'm not stuck. I'm just here now. And mm -hmm. upon graduation, I might see it a little more clearly as I'm a little closer to it. Mm. like break it down piece by piece yeah um I like that that feels a lot less scary than this like looming like I should have I should you know have written my first book by like 22 and I should be <laughs> accomplished and making like massive amounts of money and all of that um but to like bring it back to just the present and just it's like what I can do like right here. That feels a lot less scary for sure. Yeah. And when you're a lot less scared, what are you really able to do? I'm able to tap into I guess my heart and my gut and like that knowing and really just follow it like wherever it wants to lead me. How stuck is that? It's not stuck at all. That's free. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. So that's, that's a, that is called reorientation. I am reorienting myself to the here and now. And when I do that, I realize that everything is possible for me.
And that in fact, I am not even, I'm not stuck. I'm free. I'm so, so mm -hmm. free because I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm here. Yeah, I, w I wish my uh, camera was working right now because I, that put a big smile on my face. <laughs> just that like, yeah, that just feeling of, yeah, that like anything is possible. Even if that inner critic's going off, like telling me all the things I can't do and, you know, all the things I'm bad at. It's like, no, like that is, those are lies. <laughs> like they're not true. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And the closer and more aligned I am to my inner fire, the more quickly and clearly I'm able to recognize that as lies rather than the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's again, why we split up those voices so we can accurately identify the truth versus the bullshit. Mm -hmm. Because you're driving the car. I am driving the car. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, I can, I can very vividly remember being in high school and the first question, like, where are you going to college? And then as soon as you figure out where you're going to college, well, what are you majoring in? And once you figure out you're majoring in, well, okay, well, what are you going to do for your job? And then once you're doing it with your job, like, when are you going to get married? And once you get married, like, mm -hmm. are you, when are you going to have kids? And then when are you going to have your next kid? And then, and everyone is obsessed with what that next step is that I think a lot of times we are pressured to fill in the blanks with what we think we should say or should mm -hmm. do or the life we're somehow supposed to have because we're, what would happen if I said, I don't know. How could I know that? I have yeah. no idea. I'm 16 years old. I don't know. I'm, I'm just in college. <laughs> could mm -hmm. I just be there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, and, it's, it's that I don't know. That's like the, the scary part. It's like, if we can't fill it with something, then we have to find like, just filling it with nothing seems scary because that's just so unknown. Mm -hmm. And I think that's but then that's where like the real stuff like happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So when I feel self-conscious about saying, I don't know, I create something that might not actually be true for me just to give an answer to someone. And what I'm doing is I'm developing a false self. I'm co-creating a false self that feels better about having an answer even if it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. But if I am actually, the most reality-based answer is I don't know because I'm not there yet. Or I don't know because there could be a global pandemic in 2020 that changes everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know because it's not for me to know yet. I'm not there. Mm -hmm. regardless of how that person feels your response or their own existential struggle with your uncertainty. So sometimes I think it's good for us to be wary 
of the external pressure to have an answer for things that are impossible for us to actually know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, I've had to face that recently too with, in regards to uh, like school and choosing classes for next semester. Um, I had a geography minor that I loved at one point, or I thought I did coming into college and I kept it around because I thought I had to, because mm-hmm. not having one, like not having something to say like, oh yeah, I'm majoring in this and like minoring in this felt safer than minoring in something that I was not in love with anymore, that I didn't enjoy doing. Um, but there was this, I did have this moment of freedom in that way when I dropped my geography minor um, and I decided that I'm just taking the classes that interest me in the moment. And then like, I don't have to base any sort of like worth or safety on this idea of maintaining some sort of, yeah, that like false identity, that false self that I think I have to. So again, Sophie, you're the woman who calls the shots and mm-hmm. decides I'm dropping that major, minor. That's not, I'm not interested anymore. I've, oh, look, at, mm-hmm. I've evolved. I got mm-hmm. here. I took some classes in it. I'm looking at it. It's not for me. So I'm doing something different. Mm-hmm. That feels like strength. Mm-hmm. and that I value my experience and trust myself to be able to make decisions based on what I know about me rather than what I think others might think about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for so long too, it was like, like I would go to like my mom for that sort of um, like check-in like, is this okay? Can I do this? Um, and in that moment, it kind of, I didn't, like, I, I told her after, I guess, but um, I didn't, like, check in before, and that was, like, powerful in and of itself as well. You are truly paving a whole new way. Mm. You, that is a healthy, um, when I individuate from what I have needed, and begin to realize I don't need permission, then what I have done is I have internalized what I need from mom, from mother, who gives me permission to realize that I am now able to give myself that permission. Not because this was bad, just because I am now able to do this for myself. So when we think about like this from developmentally, even for kids, when a baby stops using a bottle, it's not bad. They've just mm-hmm. outgrown that. They don't need it anymore. We don't say, what? How could you do that? What are you doing? You're a baby. You know, we're like, no, we, we realize we've, we're done with that season. Mm-hmm. That thing's over. It's useless. It wasn't bad when they needed it. It was a simple tool. It was what mm-hmm. I needed then. So there's, a, there's a, some friction that can happen in between that parent-child relationship when you're moving out of adolescence into fully formed adulthood where I don't, it's not the same. And I'm Mm. trying to figure out what and where we fit in this together and how, Mm. and, and I don't know, but I, Mm -hmm. I didn't call you ahead of time this time. 
I made, I made the call myself. Mm-hmm. Thrilling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if anybody is even remembers what their minor was in college. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what she said when I told her. She's like, yeah, uh, uh, nobody has asked for my minor or even like major, you know, um, they really just care that you have a degree. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to echo that. I mean, no one's ever asked my major in college. No one's ever asked, except for if they're people that are in, kids in college trying to figure out what they should major in. But outside mm-hmm. of that, like in a job interview or anywhere else, Nope. No one's yeah. even asked for my transcripts. <laughs> I were, I was told that these were really important. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I was told that like I had to have a 3.8 or higher or mm-hmm. I mean this might also just be a story that I tell myself but that having under like a 3.8 is just complete and utter failure. Right. <sighs> This is why we need our stories out on the table so we can find out if they're actually true or not. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember the first semester of college, I got like a three, seven, five or something. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified to tell, like to tell my parents because I had like a three, nine, eight or something like throughout high school. Um, and I was so scared. And I remember telling my mom and she was like, oh, that's good. I was like, what? <laughs> Are you, did you hear what I said? Like the 375. Um, yeah. What do you hear now when you reflect that story back? I hear myself as just being so, like, I guess, ruled by that critic and ruled by that idea that I had to be perfect and so scared and like ashamed that I could like not be that, like I couldn't uphold that like perfect 4.0 for like the rest of my time on earth. And what I know now is? What I know now is that perfectionism is a lie. (laughs) That Mm -hmm. even if I did have that 4.0 in college, it would not have brought me any more joy or peace or, you know mental clarity so we're back to a place of freedom again mm-hmm. when i release myself from the perfection story i am free mm-hmm. and i realize what actually matters yeah for so much of my life I guess up up until March of this year um I felt so or I guess in retrospect I was so restricted by that notion of like always having to be perfect and taking on other people's problems and like not allowing my feelings to be valid because I had to maintain this like perfect emotional state for everybody else. That's not an uncommon story that I, I, I find a way 
to attend to other people. And then I'm burning out and realize that I don't really know how to attend to myself. Mm-hmm. And then there's this wake up and that might've been the March thing is, mm-hmm. mm, I think it's my turn. I think mm-hmm. I need to have all eyes on me for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like, even, even hearing you say that, even hearing you say, oh yeah, it's like all eyes on me. Like it's my turn. Like it still brings up like just a little bit of like terror, just a little mm-hmm. bit of like fear. Um, mm-hmm. Just in that if the spotlight's on me, that means I can fail. Mm. And that means that is, yeah, that that's like a possibility. So let's take it off the stage in a spotlight. And if it's you in a really cute living room with people you love and trust, that could be just you. That could be a couple people. And all you're doing is taking the dim light and turning it up to a warm lighting that feels really good and cozy. Mm. I like that a lot better. (laughs) That feels good. (laughs) Yeah. When we say all eyes on me, it's our our own eyes. It's our own time to see ourselves. that I need to see me. And sometimes I need some witnesses or some company that's going to be like my, like, you got a girl, keep going. We see you too. You're doing it. Keep it up. Can I get you some water? What do you need? You're doing the hard stuff. You're right in the middle. You're almost through. These are like the, the emotional doulas, right? The people that are mm-hmm. alongside as we like birth ourselves and, and we attend to our story and the wounds and the the words and what needs to come all the way forward so we can have the resolution we're looking for. Mm. So with your creative writing, you can put your, you can create the setting when you think about what your healing looks like. It does not have to be you on a a center stage with a spotlight and you can't see the audience. Mm. I like that. That is a lot that feels more accessible. That feels a lot more safe and warm in the way that I know I can still create growth and find that place to fit in, but that it would still like, it it would foster like a safe space for that growth. That's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Which is really it's an essential piece of how we actually heal. Like if we don't feel safe, we're not going to open up. Like if we don't feel secure that we were, that we're safe, there's no way we're going to be able to actually like do the work we need to do. Cause it's like, Mm-mm, I'm not saying anything. Not up here. <laughs> there is too much at stake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we seek safety and then we build trust and then we can do our work. Okay. Capture for me what this conversation has been like for you. If you were to title it, put it in a sentence for like, this is, this is what I'm taking from today. This conversation 
um, reminded me of my freedom and the power that is within me always. This conversation reminded me of my freedom and the power that is within me always. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Louder for the people (laughs) in the back. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sophie, really, really, really well done. Really excellent insight and awareness and words, all of it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for uh, talking with me. I very much. It's so valuable. So amazing. It's my pleasure. It's like, it's, it really, it really is like opening up a present. It's like, ooh, what's going to be in here? And, <laughs> and, and not knowing, we, we just know, mm-hmm. having no idea. And then yeah. getting to discover it together. That's part, it feels like it, then it becomes like a joint present. And then it feels like, oh, we're both opening up something here. Mm-hmm. That's like, it's like I got in your, it's like I'm a hitchhiker and I got in your car, but yeah. like COVID safe. No masks COVID required. <laughs> That's so good. That's so real. Yeah. yeah. And just, again, just to remember, Sophie, like, again, we didn't invent anything today. We're just looking at what's there. You have freedom and power already within you, and you're just remembering it and feeling mm-hmm. it and sensing it and knowing it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's all yours. Everything you experience and discover is yours. It's you. Mm-hmm. Would you stay yeah. in touch? Would you let me know? Yes. What I want to know. I want to know what you major in. I want to know, like, I want to yes. continue to unfold because this is, it's already so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for your time today, Sophie. I so I just I respect and value you taking the time to be here and to be willing to jump on the call. Like I can't mm-hmm. I I will let you know people's response because people usually respond in to be like that, this, you know, this touched me or this, I connected to this or I connected to that. And I just want you to know mm-hmm. what happens when you decide to step into your power, how that affects other people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep stepping in. Yes. I will. One foot in front of the other. Into that power. (laughs) That's it. Okay. So what did you think? I'd love to know your thoughts on this episode. You can, at any time, um, you can DM me on Instagram at Elise Snipes. Um, You can email me, hello at elisesnipes.com. But I'd love to know your specific interactions with these episodes. Um, And so do the people who are having these conversations. When people email back in or DM me about an episode, I often get a chance to anonymously share your feedback or input or what touched you. And this is, again, like the way that we get to see all of our stories come back to our one big, beautiful collective story. But man, talking to Sophie today was so special. Um, I'm going to note on one thing. One, Sophie, Sophia, 
Her name actually means wisdom in Greek. And I heard so much wisdom in her story. 20 years old. Also, I never asked people how old they are. So that was interesting too, even for me. I'm like, but I really want to know. Um, and to hear her at 20, I hope that we can hear collectively how little our numerical age has to do with what we know and where we are on our journey. She could have been 60 or 80 with the amount of insight, awareness, and maturity that she is approaching her life. So um, let's, let's touch or tap into a couple things. Um, the idea of parts and the parts party of being able to identify the different voices, different people within us. This is not multiple personality disorder. This is, or DID. This is not um, actual audible voices. These are the felt experiences of when I am hard on myself. And at first glance, we really believe that all of these things are just us. And our first work is to clearly identify what are the different voices? Who are the passengers in my car? Um, what is contributing to the overall like, thought process, felt feeling process? What about my memories? What about my childhood? What about my like, ancestral DNA and, and the family of origin stories from my own parents and beyond that? And how each of these things contribute to my overall identity, the way my inner critic sounds, the way my future self sounds within me, what, where my core value and power and fire live inside of me. And you can hear that in Sophie's story, the way that she, and I, maybe you can listen back again, tone of her voice. I could almost feel her sitting up straighter at certain points in the podcast where she could, you could hear her come into that strength, feel it, come toward it. It wasn't as much like, I guess, maybe it wasn't passive energy. It was authoritative energy. And that's how we know that we're sitting in the seat of true self is when it's not about what we hope for or what we maybe believe, maybe, but what we know, what we know. I believe that that is so much of the work that, that one, like I, I want to do and I want to do with people is help them to get into their seat of knowing that there is clarity and confidence, that there is a sturdiness around what we know and how we move in our relationships with ourselves, in our career, as our, in our work as a student, in our, in our marriages, as a parent, that we would be able to embody with confidence and truth all of the different spaces, knowing that we belong. That is the heart of what we're doing. So if that, I just, I don't know, I, I want, I want you to run that through your story. I want you to think about where you feel that for you, where you feel and know that you are sitting in a spot that you belong. And if that isn't your experience, what resource do you need in order to get there? If you feel like you're not sure, if you're like, I don't, I actually don't know. I've actually have, I have no idea what you're talking about and I've never felt that, or I don't know if that's possible for me. Or like we heard again, like the story I tell myself is maybe I'll have that when I'm 30, 40, 50, 90, a hundred dead. I don't know. Like we, we put ourselves so far away from this in our timeline. So what do you want to experience? How do you want to feel? 
when you think about the different spaces that you inhabit and the roles that are yours alone to live. Um, agency. I love that word. I love the meaning of that word. I love the, the again, it's she's the bus driver. Um, she's the authority. And she has the volition, power, tools, everything she needs to do the damn thing. That's agency. Not just a thought. It's action. It's not just a hope, it's feet on the ground doing, doing it. Um, the idea of journaling too, how much writing had power in Sophie's story. I think that's something else to consider. I actually have a, a person, her name's Allie Fallon. She's a friend who is writing a book called The Power of Writing It Down. It is available for pre-order right now and coming out in January and is a phenomenal book that walks you step by step through the power of writing it down. And I think that this is exactly what um, Sophie is experiencing is how we shape the narrative and how we come back into a place of autonomy, agency, ownership of our stories. Every story fits and every story deserves to be told. Even the things that you wish you could rip up and crumple. You know, what's great about writing it down is you can do just that. So if you haven't tried writing or journaling, I would absolutely encourage that as a practice, even for just like how, even like how Sophie had that moment where she went back and read and she's like, I don't even remember writing this because that's what happens sometimes when we put pen to paper is, is something bubbles up and comes out and we might know more than we realize. So if you haven't tried journaling, writing, things like that, I would encourage you to take some time to do that. Um, other than that, I just, I don't know, I'm kind of sitting in some reverence right now for that process. I feel like that was the type of conversation that I walk away from with an immense amount of hope for women in this next generation. I hear Sophie and I think, oh, my daughter's going to be just fine because there are women like Sophie in front of her doing their work. And so when I think about like this daisy chain of the women who have gone before me, Sophie, the women between Sophie and my daughter, and I think, damn, we are so, so powerful. We are so capable of changing the narrative. We are so incredibly able to have the lives we only hoped were possible. And we need each other for that as wayfarers, as people who turn on the lights for us so we can see and sit with us until we can see it for ourselves. You are a part of that, you who choose to listen in to this podcast. You are connected to people like this in your life as well, a part of this daisy chain. Women who have come before you and women who have come after you, people that are connected to you because of your story. And your part is essential. And you are the only one who can do it. And if you don't show up, we are missing a huge and important piece of the story. Period. That's it. I can't say enough about that. We need you. And we need you in the wholeness of your story. And so I just, I invite you as we, as we kind of wrap up 2020 and head into 2021 to think about how essential your life is to the rest of us, how essential your life is, your story is, your words are, your lived experiences. We all need to know your story so that we, we can learn and we can all elevate 
every single one of us. It is so important. You are so important. I just want you to know that if you have not heard that today or in a long time, you are essential. We need you. You are important in ways that you probably can't even conceive of yet. Peace.